hello out there, all you hopeful humans today. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the wonderful Casey. Hello, everybody. How's it going, Casey? I'm pretty swell, actually. <laughs> How are you? I feel like I could fall asleep during the recording of this podcast, but I'm also, you know, so, you know, when sometimes you're really tired and you get really angry about it and other times you're really tired <laughs> yeah. and it's just like everything like, is hilarious and yeah. delightful. I'm in that second phase right now. So and always happy to talk to you, of course. Always happy to talk to you. I mean, lucky for you, we've got some very, very riveting legislative <laughs> talk going on today. So you, we're going to try and make sure both our listeners and Sarah are like up and at them for this. Because guess what? We have good news, guys. Like there's good news on yes. the climate front. That so rarely happens. I feel like we need to like dwell for a hot second on like, this is where hope is, right? Like hopeful humans. Yes. I love it. We're part of nature too. I mean, that's what yeah. we talk about on on this podcast is how we're connected to the natural world. So I wanted to include us in that, and and we that. do have some reasons to hope, and we've talked about that on the podcast before. Both how we find hope when things don't seem hopeful, but also just the fact that we have to remember that when things sometimes seem dire that things are also changing every day and we can make them change for the better. And hopefully we are doing that. I love it. So let's let, well, let's start where we're rooted at, right? Our rooting is in our love of nature. It's about, you know, protecting the things around us. And last week you challenged us to a couple things, but one of the things on your list that I did this week is spending your 15 minutes of time in nature each day, um, really try and notice the colors going on. So I spent some time this week. Pennsylvania is exceedingly green right now, other than the dead grass, but like <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of like green trees, green bushes, like we're in the height of the chlorophyll season. So if you're about to talk about the same thing that I was going to talk about right now, I, I don't know that I am. I guess I'm just like, it's mostly my neighborhood is lots of trees that are green right now. And that, that green is indicative of where that plant is making its fuel which mm -hmm. is pretty cool and then some of my neighbors have flowers but like other than that I didn't really see a lot of birds or anything like that so it was like a very the focus of the walk was green love it well that's sort of where I started and ended up I guess I was feeling very frustrated yesterday because I realized oh my goodness it's Sunday we record our podcast on Monday I have made it through the week and I have yet again not done my challenges for the week. I'm such a failure. <laughs> I I really did not get any outdoor time in over the past week. I just haven't been, it, been working a lot. It, it yeah. hasn't been in the cards. Uh, haven't had a whole lot of energy. Just haven't done it. So I end up just staring into my backyard for a few minutes dejectedly and guess what I haven't been mowing my yard so it's just overgrown <laughs> grass in my backyard and random weeds that I I cannot identify and so green was naturally the color that came to me and I was like okay well if you think about it that is pretty cool as as you said why are plants 
green, we know about the chlorophyll is the pigment that's in the chloroplast. And if you remember your science class and photosynthesis and all of that stuff, but it led me down a little rabbit hole of, but why? Why are plants green? Because we talked about last week how things get their color because of the wavelengths that they are reflecting otherwise known as not absorbing. So these plants are green because they are not absorbing those green wavelengths, which as I was reading is apparently like the most abundant wavelength of light that the sun emits or something like that. So why are they doing this? And they've actually done research on this and I wish that I understood it well enough to talk about it. Maybe I can post the link to some of the things that I was reading on our social media, but but they've looked into it. And it's, I, I think basically the easy way to say it is it actually protects the plants from getting too much light oh. or go, it, it keeps photosynthesis in balance for them. And there was something about that that just really struck me. Like how amazing is that? Once again, these colors that to us, we talked about how green can be calming and peaceful, also serves a purpose for that plant and the fact that those two things go together so well is just a source of joy and amazement for me and I'm grateful for it so that was my sadness and failure feeling turned into a sort of positive and who who would have thought moment that I was really excited about I like that you investigated like the next step down I was like ah green. Yes. It makes the plants. And you were like, but why? And I, that's exactly how we should be looking at everything. And that's like the spirit well, of investigation. Too. I would say, I would say both sides. Yeah. I think there's a time to, to sit and enjoy, which is more what I had in mind when I gave the challenge, but my state of mind that I was in as I was trying to complete this challenge was such that I wasn't really finding just the joy in looking at it, but that taking that extra step in this moment brought me some joy. I love it. Well, we're going to dive into the weeds, so to say, about <laughs> what's going on this week with the climate bill. Now, when we say the climate bill, we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which does not sound like a <laughs> like climate bill. <laughs> Um, but we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Sarah, I was prepping this and I have, I think, a fairly high average knowledge of what how our government works, at least like what the politics of the Senate, because I am constantly frustrated with them. But I thought if anyone is listening from outside our country, a lot of this is going to be very confusing. So I was wondering, because so far this bill has passed the Senate, it is very much expected to keep going um, because the Senate's the hardest part. So I was wondering if you could like give us a brief overview of what the heck the U.S. Senate is. Probably not as detailed as you would want me to. That's Casey, for the best. Casey, yeah. you changed this question I on did. me. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm on an episode of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader or something like that because this it's is a little more trivia. Focused. As we've talked about a million times, is not, I do not have an above average level of knowledge on this and is not something that is. A passion of mine. But our Senate is part of the the legislative branch of our government. If you listened 
a few a couple weeks ago whenever that was that we talked about the EPA we had talked about that a little bit Casey and I were discussing whether we wanted to be president a supreme court justice or a member of congress And you wanted to be a member of congress if, so if I had to pick you one had of the to three pick. but we have the house of representatives and we have the senate are the two houses that are part of that legislative branch legislative just basically means lawmaking more or less so each of our 50 states in the united states has two representatives that are elected by the people to the senate to represent us in washington dc as they are determining what legislature to pass and uh, and they sort of work in conjunction with the House of Representatives. So when we talk about passing a new bill into law, it's going to go through both the House and the Senate before it can be passed. That's right. So some important things in that is basically that no matter how many people each state has or how big a land area it has, it gets two senators. The House is a little different. There's like 400 something members of that that are sort of allocated based on population distribution. Yes. But for the Senate, they wanted it to be equal. Um, and because we happen to have 50 states, sorry, D.C., sorry, Puerto Rico or anyone else who wants to be included in that. It's just the strictly states. There are 100 senators that we have here. So we're going to talk a, just a smidge about what that actual process is, because this bill is getting passed through a very special narrow passage. But mostly we're going to focus on all sorts of really important climate measures and what they're going to mean for you, what they're going to mean for the U.S.'s ability to fight climate change. And I'm just really excited about it. So I hope you'll stick around to the next part of the episode because we're going to go through it. All right. So guys, I think it was Sunday night. The Senate passed the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, putting it on its way to becoming the biggest investment in fighting climate change in U.S. history. Super exciting stuff. Woo. I feel like I need like a bell. And right. Like, I, yeah. yeah. I'll work on getting some sound effects. Yeah, exactly. We need like some buttons or something. No, I would mess with them way too much. So... <laughs> Some things to know about the Senate. Basically, normally when you're passing a bill, you need, Sarah, do you know how many votes you normally need to pass is a bill? 60? It is. It's 60. It, it, Ooh, it, that was stressful. I'm, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. I'm just like throwing <laughs> trivia questions out you. You are smarter than a fifth grader. You need 60 votes um, due to something called the filibuster. It's a very like a nuancey little rule. But basically, there is a special exception called budget reconciliation, which is a way that you can vote on bills and only pass them with a simple majority. Now you might ask, there are a hundred senators. What if there's a 50-50 tie? There is a 50-50 tie. <laughs> um, right now, the U.S. Senate um, is made up of 50 Republicans, 49 Democrats, and one independent with that independent 
caucusing with the Democrats. I believe that is the current numbers. Bernie Sanders is that independent. If you're like, Ooh, who is that? So they're, they're basically split 50, 50. They are very reluctant to work with each other, which can be very frustrating. Although yes. we will bring up one uh, instance later that has helped with the climate change thing. That was actually a bipartisan move that they got the whole 60 votes for, but for budget reconciliation process, it has to be something that specifically messes with the the federal budget. So, for example, they could not have 50 votes and pass like legalizing the right to gay marriage, for example. That was not something that would impact the federal budget, so they can't do it with 50. But if it has to do with taxes or revenue or budget cuts, they can do it with just 50. I think they get to do it twice a year. It's the dumbest little nuances that we as Americans are like, why isn't anything happening? (laughs) This is why. So anyway, there's 50-50. But because the Democrats have the presidency, the vice president becomes the tie-breaking vote. So technically, as long as everybody's on board, they need the 50 votes and then the vice president would break that tie. So because they're like very reluctant to work across party lines, you basically can't really count on for most bills convincing a member of the other party to sign on board with your piece of legislation. So really, you have to have a completely united party earlier in the year it or maybe it was last year at this point there was the build back better bill which was a much much larger climate health lots and other things bill sarah are you familiar with the kind of two people who are have been the biggest sticking points for a lot of these oh um was it it mansion yeah you got it joe mansion that's the name that i i've seen in the headlines Joe Manchin, he's always in the headline. He's always <laughs> just like making some waves. The other one is Kirsten Cinema, who's from Arizona. So Joe Manchin is a senator from West Virginia, and he happens to be a Democrat, which is very unlikely based on the makeup of West Virginia. They tend to lean more Republican. Um, he's also very close to the coal industry, which we did an episode <laughs> about. So he oftentimes has trouble with some of the climate legislation because of its impact on the coal industry. They have been fighting about it for forever. And finally, him and Chuck Schumer, who I think is the head of the like Senate Democrats, wrote the bill together and he got all the things that he could ever possibly want. <laughs> and they all agreed to pass it. Yay. Yay. And like, man, it was down to the wire. I was like convinced it wasn't going to happen. I was really worried about cinema, who's from Arizona, which is a purple state. It tends to be more conservative than like you know, someone from California can pretty safely put their name on something like this versus someone who might get voted out of office for doing something that's considered too partisan or too liberal. So the big caveat for this is that this is not actually just a climate bill. Something really important for Joe Manchin for this bill is that he did not want it to impact inflation, which is a really big concern for Americans right now. And so he prioritized reducing inflation and the federal deficit, which is basically like you don't want to spend more money than you bring in. So he wants to narrow that gap. So there were some other things in it. Basically, I'm going to list them. I'm not going to go into details. This is not a policy podcast. This is <laughs> this is an environmental podcast. So some non-climate things in there. It allows Medicare, which is our government insurance for older folks, to negotiate with 
pharmaceutical companies to lower the drug prices for like a couple drugs, which will help them spend less money um, over time for the next decade. It extends expanded subsidies for the Affordable Care Act for the next three years. So if you get your health insurance through the ACA, you don't have to worry about your premiums going up a couple hundred dollars in the next couple months. It helps fund the IRS, the tax service, so that they can help better enforce existing tax code. So basically it brings in more revenue to the government to help pay for a lot of the things they're going to be spending on in this bill. And it enforces a 15% corporate tax on profits of companies. So basically for that, I'm sure you guys are somewhat familiar with companies being like, we didn't make a whole bunch of money. And then telling all their shareholders, we did make a lot of money. Don't worry, you should invest in us. And basically what it means is that instead of them being able to write off all their taxes on a lot of technicalities while still saying, no, we made lots of money to the people investing in them. It, it basically gives them a, a minimum 15% corporate tax based on the profits that they report to their stakeholders. So it just better enforces existing tax code for the most part. So this brings in money. Most of this stuff is helping us save money to help pay for the other things. And it, some of it will impact people's healthcare, which is important to a lot of people. Overall, it reduces the deficit by $305 billion over the next 10 years, which is sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good. Like when you're talking about the numbers the government deals in, I don't know. They're Way so much bigger head. than conceivable that yeah. like, I mean, it's, it lowers the deficit. So, so that's important. I- that's one of the things that I was going to say is just reading through all of this. A reason that I don't get very into politics is because I just find it so overwhelming. Like the the level of the, the level that they are working at, I'm just like I wouldn't even know what was a possibility in trying to figure out all what what you can do and how, where to find the money to do these other things and what the right way to do it is is also overwhelming to me that I just I can't quite grasp it and I do I don't want to go off on a tangent on this but I do just you know want to mention as we talk about the lack of bipartisanship that we struggle with so much and all of that I do just want to say that I mean that's the that's the other thing that is just entirely frustrating to me like to this this point that it feels like we've come to and obviously I've only been alive so long, so I don't know about other periods where it was better or worse or whatever. But for me right now, it just feels so awful. I hate thinking about it. It just, it feels like we're, there's just this great divide and I don't find myself, I'm not in either party. (laughs) Like I don't, you know, that's, I just, I don't, don't align with, with either party. So just know that again it doesn't have to be that way we right now the democratic party when we talk about it tends to be the one that is supporting these things that i think are important for the environment but that doesn't mean if you are not part of the democratic party that you can't find this important too so i just want to go back to what we say so much on the podcast when we talk about politics is no matter what if this is important to you let it be important to you and don't feel like just because it isn't currently part of your party's standard, it can still be important to you and you can still tell your representatives that. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. We're going to talk a little bit more about it as we go on, but really like the by the partisan divide within the Senate and the House to a certain extent, not as bad as the Senate because each vote counts more in the Mm -hmm. senate um doesn't actually reflect 
Americans actual views on the actual legislation that they're looking at like there's lots of things that are wildly popular with the broad swath of Americans that don't get done because the other party doesn't want to give each other a win yes yes and that's not the way that it should be no and within each party there's a big spectrum so like certain issues even if you might you know want to call red or blue there are different people who have different Mm -hmm. viewpoints. There are people. So uh, it's important to note though, that none of the Republicans did vote for this at Mm -hmm. all. None of them. They have a variety of views from, we should do something about climate change to climate change is not real. Mm -hmm. And that I think can be really frustrating for anyone who cares about the environment from, from that standpoint, but you know, they go through primaries. So select your candidates that are, that are climate change believers rather than deniers. And then maybe we'll get some more stuff done Um, because Joe Manchin is actually someone who really does value bipartisanship. That's been something that's been important to him. We'll talk about that again in in the other bill that they passed before. But in in addition to reducing the deficit, which lots of people claim is important to them. I I don't know. It's not that important to me personally. We're talking about Honestly, I took a lot of numbers out of this, this outline because <laughs> I was like, I, I don't want some, you know, someone to be like, well, like, oh, actually it's allocated. To, it doesn't actually matter that much. I think to the average American, what those specific dollars amounts are, but know that like, basically this brings in more than it puts out. And it also gets us to 40% lower carbon emissions than our peak in 2005 by like 2030, which is a lot better than we were. We were on our track for like 25 to maybe 30%. And now we're with this bill looking more at 32 to 40 something percent reductions from that peak. Now, from someone who's actually left of this bill, we need to get to a lot lower than that pretty soon, but this does so much more than we were before. Right. And I I read a quote. So I actually did not find out that this passed until like 30 minutes before doing this okay. podcast. Cause again, I get up very early in the morning. I was at work yes. all day. I, I just hadn't really heard anything until I was kind of just quick scrolling through the news headlines this evening. Uh, and I read one quote, I can't remember who it was, but it's something about we can't let perfect hold us back from good or something yes. like that. So, you know, concessions were made on certain I think things. That was- but- Brian Schatz from the senator from Hawaii. Take your word for it. I love him uh, very much. But <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. I thought that that was a good point. We can't hold out for everything that we could ever imagine that we would want to do for the climate. This feels like it's a really big step forward, and that's awesome. And once we've taken that step, you know, who knows where the next foot is going to land, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, what we might find out from this is that most Americans are like this is dope <laughs> and like, and, right. and want to keep going or they'll find out that like this actually catalyzed things in a different way than we thought. And right. actually things are moving faster or maybe they're moving slower and we needed to do more. So there's lots of potential here. I tried to read the bill. Um, I want to put it out there. It is 725 pages long. I believe I skimmed. <laughs> Well, good for you. Good for effort. But genuinely, like if you try and read this bill and you can read it, congrats, you should work in the Senate because (laughs) because it's it's extremely like, oh, and as referenced in subsection 2A, 
the tax code will be no longer than what we amended in section two B. Like it is to me incomprehensible. <laughs> There's so many parts of it that like, I, I don't think it's worth it. I crowdsourced from a lot of different news articles, including NPR and Vox and some um, different places like even Greenpeace who again, like are excited for certain parts and not excited from other parts, which we'll talk about. But like, I tried to read it. I am just trying to take in all of the elements and break it down. The Democrats also put out a summary of what was in the bill. And so I pulled from that as well. So the things I like about this bill is it kind of marries two things we talk about all the time in our podcast. I feel like we're just in a little bit of a winning spot for our pod because we talk about individual choices mattering, but also larger economic forces mattering and needing to pull both levers, right? Like that's why we give you individual challenges. This is why we also give you challenges that have to do with your community or contacting your representatives, right? And it's why we talk about things like what's going on in the political realm and that sort of thing. Right. Both matter and they are both addressed in this bill and they're tackling I would say mostly two major parts of where our economy, where we emit the most carbon, but they also hit a lot of other things too. So the first one we're going to talk about is vehicles. If you want a deeper dive into electric cars, we did an episode about it. Sarah, why are vehicles an important target for climate legislation? You just mentioned that they're one of the biggest sources of emissions. I want to say that it's around a quarter of our greenhouse gas emissions come from the transportation sector. But regardless, it's a large chunk of our greenhouse gas emissions. 27%. You nailed it. Yeah. We all use it every day. So these big emitters, this is this is where we need to cut down. And what are the biggest ways that we're going to get to lower carbon emissions within the transportation sector? Just switching over to electric vehicles, right? Electric I mean, vehicles. We, we've got yep. to get this. And, and we, you know, we talk about some of the issues with that in episode two, but you know, these were literally just spewing greenhouse gases as we drive down the road right now. And they've gotten better over the years. We talked about that too, how legislation made the auto industry clean up its act with regards to emissions that our vehicles are currently producing. But there's clearly 27% of our emissions still uh, a long way to go. And so I think electric vehicles are the next step ahead. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, you can use the carrot and stick metaphor of carrots being rewards for doing good things, sticks being bad thing, like punishments for doing bad things, typically like charging a fine or something like mm-hmm. that. This is almost all carrots um, for the vehicle section of it. So one of those big hurdles for electric vehicles is the cost up front, right? Like we don't buy a new car every year because it costs a lot of money. You want there to be longevity. So some important things that this legislation does is it does give a tax credit for lower to middle income folks. So we're not talking about like Bill Gates getting to write off his Tesla and his taxes situation. We're talking about generally the average American buying a vehicle it gives them a $4,000 tax credit for a used, they call it a clean vehicle, which is an electric vehicle. And that's right up my alley. I am wow. all. <laughs> it's 
sold. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I was wondering, and this is something I'm going to have to look more into. It says clean vehicle. I don't know if this includes plug-in hybrids, which is something we talked about. about Um, but it definitely electric vehicles and it gives you, I think a $7,500 credit towards new clean vehicles. I mean, you also want that too, because they need incentive for people to buy the new ones because there's no used ones without new ones. So that's super exciting. Um, it gives money for the postal service to purchase zero emissions vehicles. And that is 217,000 vehicles on the road. That's a lot of cars. That's a lot of mail trucks. Um, it was something that they were aiming for before, but this actually gives them the funding to do it despite some of the budget cuts for the postal service. So that's a lot of vehicles on the road. It also gives loans to new manufacturing facilities for cars, as well as grants to retool existing auto manufacturing facilities to manufacture clean vehicles. So you've got a regular GM plant, you've got a regular Ford plant somewhere in your community. They're going to potentially be able to apply for money to redo their facility to be able to produce cars. It takes away that hurdle of just completely redoing your facility and and makes it easier for them to then manufacture them domestically too, which is also, I think, a big deal for a lot of people. And it gives a billion dollars for clean, heavy duty vehicles like school buses, transit buses. So like your city bus and garbage trucks, which are everywhere too. Yeah. That's awesome. Ah. (laughs) I wish that I had any sense of how far a billion dollars dollars is going to go or how this is going to work exactly like how is how does this actually rain down like how is it going to parse out how it's going to be put into effect these are the types of things when I read things like this that my brain just like it it sounds wonderful to me I I just can't process how it all is going to play out which I guess we'll see hopefully yeah I I think um maybe this next part will help us a little bit. So Sarah, I just talked about cost, which is a big deal when it comes to electric vehicles, but what is the other like major hurdle for electric vehicles? For me, it's the, the fear that, so I'm about to take, Casey, I'm going to come to your wedding. You're going to come to my wedding. In like a month, <laughs> I will be driving down the road. How am I going to take a, a long road trip like right. that in an electric vehicle when it's already you know, a 15 hour drive or whatever up there. Am I going to have to stop regularly? How long is it going to take to charge? Am I going to have a spot to charge it? So that sort of infrastructure of how things are going to work, which, you know, is, is because we're set up for these gas vehicles right now. So we just need to Right. It's not that hard to find a gas station, right? Right. Can you imagine if all the gas stations were transitioned over to electric vehicle charging stations? Dreams. That would be wonderful, right? I I can envision this future where you're like, okay, I plug it in and then there's some sort of center that's maybe more attractive than a gas station that you can then like hang out in maybe (laughs) while you do it, you know? So that's not in the bill, which may be surprising to you. Unless <laughs> you know, I talked earlier, sometimes bipartisanship does happen. And earlier in the year, there was a bipartisan infrastructure bill that had money in it, $5 billion towards electric charging stations. I do remember hearing about this. And the secretary of transportation, I actually saw her on a talk show, <laughs> um, was talking about how every state and DC and Puerto Rico have submitted officially their statewide plans for how they would use the money allocated to them to have a 
working grid of electric vehicles. And so making sure that these areas that, yeah, we do go down highways, but also making sure that rural places have accessibility to these charging stations because they are the ones who are going to be more impacted if they're traveling longer distances more often. So they have $5 billion. And in order to allocate those funds, the states had to submit those statewide plans and now they can start looking at it. So it's not necessarily, and I would anticipate, and I can't say for sure, because I, again, got lost in the middle of that bill, (laughs) how exactly they're going to then allocate that $1 billion out for like whose garbage trucks and whose transit buses get it. But I'm going to guess that they're going to go for a little bit of an overarching plan of how that works. So two bills working together. We're going to have infrastructure and vehicles, hopefully. This is a complete tangent, but I just have to say, remember when we lived in Indiana, Casey, and we had to pay extra money because we had hybrid vehicles? That's not just Indiana, but yeah. No, I know, but we had to we had to do it there. I just most infuriating nonsense in the whole world. So just hearing this, and I know that was not the same thing or anything like that, but it just hearing this idea of this tax credit for purchasing a clean vehicle, that's the direction that I music to our ears. Some people who are punished for it. Um, yes. So exciting. This is exactly where we need to be because again, it's not just about, I mean, like guys, if you listen to that episode, we're talking about saving a bunch of money on gas, but also repairs that you don't have to worry about oil anymore. That just reminds me, I need to think about oil for my car right now. I'm getting an oil change on Wednesday. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to worry about oil. You don't have to worry about loads of fluids and belts and nonsense because you're going to have an electric vehicle one day and it's going to be awesome. So that's the vehicle portion. All very exciting. Next, home efficiency. So heating's a huge issue as far as the environment goes, because we put off a lot of carbon emissions, making sure that our houses stay at a perfect temperature for us. So that's or where- just bearable temperature. Or bearable <laughs> or bearable. That's true. That's true. And I mean, like, also I should color this with like some of this stuff. If you are in the lowest bracket of income, you don't, you're not purchasing an electric vehicle probably. This is, and this was actually an argument that Senator Sanders made as they were passing the bill because he wanted a much larger one is saying that for a lot of the lowest income Mm -hmm. folks in our country, this bill actually probably won't impact them. It will do a lot for people who are in the more middle income bracket. Now, those are also the people who have bigger carbon footprints than people who are in those lowest brackets. Um, but like, yes, there is a certain segment of the population as we talk about this who are excluded from our conversation. They're, well, they're excluded from p- participating in some right. of these ways, but I hope, you know, the eventual benefits will in trickle it, these yeah. sort of intangible benefits, if you will. Ooh, I almost said trickle down. No, but like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> ripple yeah. out. I yes, don't know. Rip, that's, that's better. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll benefit us all. Yes. Yeah. And remember, those are also the folks who are most impacted by climate change impacts typically because they have less of an ability to adapt to it. Um, So there's going to be $9 billion in consumer home rebate program for energy efficient retrofits, which I was like, what is that? Um, (laughs) So it's consumer tax credits to help make homes more energy efficient and run on clean energy and includes making rooftop solar. I believe you get a 30% like tax credit towards however much it costs to put 
rooftop solar on your residential building, which is super exciting. Um, electric HVAC, which I only barely know what HVAC is, let's be honest, but it has to do with making sure that like your, you know, house is warm or cool or vented properly. Water heaters that are more efficient, more affordable, and also heat pumps. So for each person, um, they can get up to $14,000 in a tax credit for home efficiency upgrades, which includes $8,000 for a heat pump. And there is money towards the Defense Production Act, which is basically an act that the president or Congress can make to help us manufacture items that are needed. Originally, it was for war. It's like, oh, nope, you're not making cars anymore. You're making tanks or whatever. <laughs> but then, you know, during COVID, it was like, okay, you're not making whatever you're making. You're making masks. masks yeah. Um, You're making swabs. And more recently, you're making baby formula because we had that shortage, things like that. But now that it's going to be things like heat pumps and critical mineral processing, which I think has to do with more like solar panels and batteries and things like that. So Sarah, what's a heat pump? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I've heard it or I read it equated to think about like how a refrigerator works where it's pumping warmer out to keep it cool inside. So mm-hmm. I mean, that is a heat pump is pumping heat. So rather than having to produce it, it is just moving the mm-hmm. heat from. So if it's, I have to think about this, if it's hot out and you're trying to keep it cool it's going to take the heat from inside your house and put it outside and vice versa right or did i did i say it did i say it backwards Mm, Um, you know if it's hot outside it's gonna it's it's moving hot air basically right so it's taking the warm air in whatever direction you want it to go to yes correct (laughs) i'm so tired switch the switch But, (laughs) but it is i mean it is what it sounds like it's it's it is pumping the air rather than having to spend all of the energy to adjust the temperature of the air. Yeah, they're used in warmer climates like you are, but where there's extended periods of really cold weather in the past, they haven't been really been used in those areas. But because of a lot of upgrades to their efficiency and technology, heat pumps are now usable in a wide range of climates and um, they use 50% less energy than traditional heating and cooling for your house. I went on the U.S. Energy Department's website to see what heat pumps information they had. And uh, one of the things about my house is it doesn't have a duct system. Like we have baseboard heat Mm. and we have window units for cooling. And so I was like, can I even have one of these? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They have ones that like basically cut out your wall, kind of like a window Mm -hmm. unit. And there's like extra fancy ones where they can also help use the extra heat to heat your water. There's ones that use geothermal stuff. So there's a wide range of options depending on your income level, depending on um, what you want it to do, but you can get up to $8,000 in tax credits to switching over which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Here's my stress about all of these things. You've mentioned tax credits a lot, and I think that's great. I hate doing my taxes, and I like to keep it as simple as possible. And I I feel like it can be confusing for people. I don't have a point to this other than to just say it'll be interesting, you know, to kind of figure out because I'm, I'm excited about this. Heat pump is the thing that I've been interested. I mean- the difference in my energy bill in the hottest months down here, just trying to keep my house. I don't mind it hot, but my poor dog, man, is just, you know, panting all the time. 
And uh, so, you know, I, I would love to have have something more efficient. So all of these things sound so exciting. I'm just already feeling anxious about my taxes. I think that's so fair. Um, as someone who the government wouldn't let submit tax information, mm-hmm. hasn't given me my return yeah. from last year. I'm looking at you, IRS. This also <laughs> something when I would, they were like, we're strengthening the IRS. I'm like, is it going to give me my money back? Or are they going to try and give take more money from me? Because right now I'm very mad at them. Um, no, I think that's a fair thing though. And that's something that, um, I, I think they were talking about with the electric vehicles that some of that will actually happen right at the dealership. Like basically the, yeah. how the tax credit yeah, works. They're, is, they're good about that. Right. Right up front. Instead of you having to pay up front and then get count on the IRS, giving your money back. I hope you're listening IRS because <laughs> I am not pleased. I have to go to H and R block. And I never wanted to do that. So, but yeah, there are some things that would be kind of like retroactive, which again is not as helpful for people in the lower income bracket. Um, there is money set aside for making affordable housing units more efficient as well. So that would be other things. Eventually we'll talk about something called the blow test on a different podcast. And that would be one of the ways to identify ways that you can make your house more efficient. Overall, I think they said that this could drop the average American's energy bill, like $1,500 a year. Wow. That sounds pretty great. That sounds amazing, right? (laughs) Like, even if you're like, you know what? I don't care. The planet can light on fire. Like, nobody wants to give their heating company, electric company, et cetera, more money. And I do, I think that it's something that maybe sometimes we're just resigned to doing sort of, sort of like, this is just the way it is. Like, this is the price I'm going to pay for trying to, you know, maintain the the comfort level or whatever, which we're very fortunate to be able to do. But think about how amazing that would be if you could cut, cut down that much. Like we don't, we don't have to be resigned to doing it the way that we've been doing it. Yeah. It's so exciting. So Okay. Those are some consumer things. Also, we have to think about the manufacturing aspect as well. Um, Where's that electricity coming from? If we're just getting it all from coal, yes, we want to use less of it. That's important. But like, what about the stuff we are using it? Is it coming from fossil fuels? So the clean energy portion gives tax credits, grants, and loans towards state and electric utilities to transition to clean energy. So it gives them incentives to start to make up more of their grid from energy sources that don't have carbon emissions that come from it. And this is another of that really big chunk of our carbon emissions. So our transportation, our electricity production, and our, our industry are kind of our big three of our greenhouse gas right. emissions. So this is another really big target area. Right. I mean, like you and I don't really get to choose unless we do pay a bunch of money to get solar ch- panels on our houses where it's coming from. So mm-hmm. exciting. Grants and taxes will, um, ta- grants and tax credits will reduce emissions from the industrial manufacturing process, including chemical, steel, and cement plants. So they often have high emissions because you need very, very high heat to make these products. And so they tend to have extra emissions, especially from fossil fuels because of that ability to make that high heat. Um, It also increases the domestic production of solar panels and batteries. So one of the reasons Sarah talked about solar panels can be tough is because if the sun's not out, it can't instantaneously power your device. You do need a battery to be able to make it work for you without having to burn a bunch of oil at night or whatever you need to do. So we talked a lot about carbon emissions. That's typically carbon dioxide. That's normally the kind of emissions standard that we're talking about. Sarah, what is another big pollutant that we have to worry about when it comes to 
impacting our climate. There are more, but the other big one that we talk about is usually methane, which is doesn't stay as long in the atmosphere, but is more potent even than it. And we don't produce like by percentage that we produce greenhouse gases, we don't produce as much right. high a percentage of of methane as we do carbon dioxide, which is why you hear about that one so much. But it for the the time that it is out there, it's a much more potent greenhouse gas even than carbon dioxide. So we talk about this when we talked about beef, when you did your episode on, on beef. So this is a byproduct, I guess you could say, of livestock production in the West. Cows, farts, yep. things. Yep. It's, it's, it's a real thing. Real thing. Uh, we also talked about in our coal yes, episode yep. about how like abandoned mines still leak methane. Mm-hmm. So- This is creating a methane emissions reduction program to reduce leaks from production and distribution of natural gas, but also cleans up abandoned mines. And it gives kind of credits and fines for not doing that. It also specifically empowers the EPA to do something about it. Man, I just feel like everything's coming back round. Listen to our whole podcast and listen to this one. We did an episode (laughs) on the EPA. (laughs) I did. I mentioned that like not everyone's going to be able to take advantage of a lot of these upgrades and things like that. It does do some things for people specifically impacted and disadvantaged by climate change issues. It has environmental and climate justice block grants for community-led projects for disadvantaged communities. So if you've got a local reforestation, maybe like an urban reforestation project or other community project, there's money that could go specifically to them. Um, There's neighborhood access and equity grants, which is equitable transportation for communities that have been divided by existing infrastructure barriers. So if you know much about the history of highways, A lot of times they built them specifically to ruin neighborhoods for people of color. And so this helps those specific communities have equitable transportation. And hopefully maybe this is where some of these electric buses are going to be going because then they have to breathe in less air pollution. Um, As money for installing clean energy tech at ports, I guess ports have very high levels of air pollution. Who knew? Who knew? A lot of the like summaries, they don't really talk about exactly what's going on there. But basically, they have disproportionate levels of air pollution, and so the communities around them are specifically impacted. So it's got specifically money for clean energy for those areas. Um, so it's there are some like very thoughtful sort of specific things that I hadn't really thought about. It's also got money for air quality monitoring programs for especially areas that have been disadvantaged, so that they can start to be like, no, no, our <laughs> our specific air quality is bad, and we can track to see what things actually help make it better. And it reinstates the Superfund tax. Sarah, do you know what a Superfund site is? Sure don't. So Superfund site is like, oh, this is a probably bad definition. I'm asking this. I took ethics a long time ago. Superfund sites are sites that are like toxic pollution waste sites. Lovely. So like imagine you're a company in like the 1950s and you got a bunch of barrels of, I don't know, chemical X that made the Powerpuff Girls or something. And you were like, I know what we should do with it. We'll dig a hole and we'll bury it. And then it like leaks into everybody's water and it sucks. That's something that was very real. Like even at my college, I remember when they were replacing our 
our athletic fields, they dug down and they're like, there's a bunch of chairs down here. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was how they got rid of waste is they just buried it in the ground. <laughs> so in the past, if that happened, like, well, sucks to be that community. You should probably just move away if you can afford it. And if not, I guess it sucks to have cancer. Like that's basically how we were handling it. But the super fun tax helped basically make it so that the companies were responsible for helping clean up these areas. Um, there's more nuances to it. We will maybe do an episode about it. Looking it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did I get it pretty well? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so it, it reinstates super fund tax, which I didn't know was not instated anymore. So that corporations fund the pollution cleanup instead of it being on your community to do it. There are some actual environmental protection and, other random things that are in the bill as well. Some of the things that I got excited about because I was like, huh, is this actually like, is it just climate or does it have to do with like nature? Cause you know, we're sustainability and we're, we're conservation and nature as well. So there's funding protections for old growth forests, nice. coastal ecosystems and the communities that surround them to make sure that they stay intact and money for the endangered species recovery plans. Wow. And this is specifically to help address impacts from climate change. So like when you're looking at their plans and you're like, well, their forest is gone, that stinks. But you're also not accounting for the fact that their like range shifts upwards because they are impacted by climate change. That's going to cost more money to figure out how to do that. And so this includes some funding for that. I'm sure it's not enough funding. Like that's just but, a, sort of a given, but it's a big deal to but me. It's, it's something. Yeah, I think that's really cool because I was thinking as we were talking through sort of like I wonder if there are any sort of climate change mitigation type things in here and this seems like a, a little bit of that to, yeah in some ways I think that but, but like, not necessarily not necessarily the way that I was thinking about it sure but I I like it I'm excited that this is in there yeah I, I think the environmental justice is a little bit of that too because mm -hmm. it's a little bit of like that, yes. that human mitigation element but this is really cool that it's like specifically because remember the other element of it is uh how much carbon can we capture within like reforestation projects right. and like the specific environmental and climate impacts of old growth forests are a big deal also there's a pretty good chunk of change for agricultural practices that are more restorative. Okay. Oh, nice. So we, we talked about kiss the ground in one of our mm -hmm. episodes. And so it's, it's looking at doing more research into some more regenerative farming practices, but also probably things of like technologies to make cows fart less and like, you know, <laughs> keep our topsoil intact, et cetera, et cetera. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There are some like interesting things in this bill that if you're a hundred percent we got to do whatever it takes for the climate what the heck are we doing making some of these things that you'd be like i don't know how this happened uh, his name is joe manchin and this is how this got passed <laughs> <laughs> so there is money for carbon capture and sequestration which would specifically extend the life of coal plants it also lowers the amount of carbon capture needed to access tax breaks Boo, I don't like that I, one. I know, it's not good. It's like, yeah, it, I mean, this is specifically, this man is not only from West Virginia where like, it's important for his people, but like his family made his money from coal. So also it impacts him as a human being. Yeah, it, it does make some kind of changes. It, it lowers some of the standards. It helps coal continue to 
somewhat artificially continue to be a viable option for energy longer than maybe it should be. (laughs) It it does give money to help reduce some of that carbon emissions from coal if we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, I can be okay with with that. Yeah, I, I can live with it. It also opens up the Gulf of Mexico and Alaska's Cook Inlet to oil and gas development. So it does require the U.S. government to start putting up parcels of land within those areas for exploratory drilling and things offshore. So more fossil, like not just like extending the life of existing fossil fuel projects. Yeah, it's um, doing new ones. (laughs) Yeah, that's frustrating. It's a little frustrating. I do believe that there is some options for like wind and solar to potentially also because Mm -hmm. offshore wind is also a thing his argument for it and i understand it from an economic perspective is that the world's oil and gas supply is very politically charged and when you've got things like the war in ukraine or anything else he wants more domestic production to help protect americans from like variable gas prices i I get that too and i hear that side of it a lot and i yes i can i can understand that viewpoint from a certain sense but you know when when you want so much to just I know continue with the stepping in but again we cannot hold out for perfect perfect there were a lot of really good things I feel like in in this that you just went over that I'm really excited about so I will hold on to that and opening it up to development is not the same thing as having you know we'll we'll see what happens yeah you know as we move to a future that is electric vehicles some of these projects eventually might not be economically viable anymore right. like we're not gonna have as big a need for them that's where like what you were saying with coal and that this may help prolong the, the life of coal but as we talked about in coal i i don't know that there's any saving coal at this right. point you know it feels like it's trending in that direction regardless. We talked about that in the EPA episode as well, that the whole sort of plan that was being contested in that whole Supreme Court decision that came out was never even put into place. And we still met those, more than met those emission reductions that that plan was supposed to to take just by natural, the way that the, the coal industry is trending so i think it's important to remember those things when we talk about this too yeah there are are definitely things that are like outside this bill that are already happening Mm -hmm. and there's also state things that are Mm -hmm. also happening so what was compromised to to get this bill passed i just talked a little bit about some of those fossil fuel things i heard on pod save america and i couldn't find exactly where they got this number but they said basically for even with this new development there's something like 24 units of carbon taken out of the air for every new thing produced based Mm -hmm. on on this so like it is very much putting us in the right direction this is not like a secret not climate change bill it's absolutely a climate change bill um it just also does give a, a little bit of the support here also he also asked for an agreement to help support faster approval processes for pipelines carrying fracked gas so that's also a buoy to the natural gas industry we haven't done an episode on natural gas yet it's a little intimidating to me but 
it, it, that will, that has environmental impacts right there. And it is not a renewable resource. It is not a clean resource. So that is something that's in the future coming down the pipeline. Oh, uh, that was bad. Sorry. And then a lot of social things that we're in build back better. It's not just like, oh, well, we added in some of these climate change things. The original build back better plan that, that the Democrats, vast majority of Democrats wanted to pass through the house had much bigger investments in climate, but it also had a lot of social aspects like paid family leave caps on insulin. Remember they negotiated Medicare prices. I think there was a more aggressive Medicare, um, package within there. It had a lot of things that were taken out. So I guess like my point here is that if you are hearing that this is the most extreme thing that could have been passed (laughs) through the Senate and that this is wild, no one wants this, it very much isn't. And like they had to go through like 15 hours of voting on all of this because when you do budget reconciliation, you can bring up a bunch of amendments. And so there were a lot of amendments on both sides being popped up. And I know Senator Sanders popped up one that was insulin reduction, which I think is probably very popular amongst both things. But like everyone was like, please stop. (laughs) We just want to, we know we want to tackle this on a different thing. And his argument is, well, we were going to do it before, except for this guy. And they're like, no, (laughs) just let us do the climate thing. So uh, things were negotiated away on both ends, on both a, a more conservative tilt and a more liberal tilt to make a compromise bill, even if it didn't have bipartisan support. Thanks, Casey. This is a great way for me to better understand things that are happening. I enjoy, rather than just straight reading about these things, it's really helpful to talk them out with you. So thank you for that overview. Are you feeling hopeful? Yes, I really am. I, you know, I have frustrations. I have frustrations about a couple of things that are in here. I have frustrations about the way our government works. I have frustrations about how many things are crammed into this bill generally, kind of what you were just saying, all of these amendments popping up and they're like, we just wanted to do it. Like part of me wishes that we could just pass why can't we just pass things individually i'm sure for efficiencies and many other reasons we can't but there are a lot of questions and and things that i feel like as somebody who doesn't work in government it can be hard to grasp all of these things sometimes but just straight talking through this and looking over some of the things that are in here yes i feel hopeful and i really do think that it is a reminder that things do change and we, you never know. I almost feel like I knew that this thing was happening. Did you tune out? Were you like, I, I, it's not I even worth being of, invested in? Yes, I had yeah. kind of tuned it out again, partially just because of my state of being right now. But yeah, I sort of was like, I'm not even going to think about this because it just doesn't seem like it's really going to happen. Yeah. And so this almost just felt like a really pleasant surprise like out of the blue almost even though I know I know it wasn't um that you just never know what's going to happen in the next day and so it it does make me really hopeful that is such a lovely note that I would I do want to answer your kind of question of like why can't we pass this individually just just a little bit so Mm -hmm. our, our our listeners can think about this too 
One is that a lot of things are connected. Totally to each other. get that. Yes. And yeah. I, I understand. And that makes sense. And that's yeah. yes, that part. But sometimes it just feels yes. like. Well, this is a little bit of a grab bag. I would say yeah. number two is that people are very obsessed with how to pay for things. And this particular package, a lot of times the way you pay for things is that you then like tax or fine people for doing bad things, right. but then you're seen as unfriendly to industry. <laughs> and so there's like this like sort of feedback loop. And so a lot of the like tax enforcement that doesn't really change a lot of our tax code, it really doesn't. It just says, let's just enforce the tax code, which is pretty popular because lots of people who could pay taxes, avoid taxes. And lots of us like you and me get very frustrated with paying our stupid taxes. Mm -hmm. But also because of this budget reconciliation thing, I believe they get two shots at the 50 vote thing. Right. And so anything they want, and this is why some of the senators were trying to push other things in here is they don't, uh, unless there is bipartisan support, they cannot do it. They like, there's no other shot at it. They can't do it individually. And that is a general, yes, frustration issue, stupid part of our government. Why can't we just work a little bit together on the things we agree on instead of thinking of it as a zero sum game where one party wins, one party loses and the American people get nothing done. So, but yes, hope is here right now. And we'll talk about what the next steps are in our wrap up. Right. So we talked about the bill passing the Senate. So exciting. There are two more steps that it has before it becomes a bill. The Senate truly was the big thing because the House has actually passed lots and lots of bills that the Senate never takes up um, because there is a more decisive majority and they don't have to worry as much about the filibuster. It has to pass the House. So that's the next step. And then it has to get signed by President Biden. President Biden has said, yeah, I'm going to sign it. He had a similar thing to say about like, yeah, is it everything we wanted? No, it's not everything I wanted. He's got a goal of reducing carbon emissions to 50% of those 2005 levels. This doesn't get us to 50%. It gets us a lot closer than we were. So he's like, that's cool. This is what it is. Vote for whatever's going to pass. So the thing that you, as a person listening, if you are an American has somewhat control over is talking to your representative about how you feel about the bill. I think even if you're like, this is so big and incomprehensible, hopefully it's comprehensible now, even if there's some part of it that you really like, because there's a lot in it, tell them what you like about it. Tell them, Hey, I saw this bill's coming up. I really liked that. It's got funding for endangered species recovery plans or, (laughs) I, I really want to switch my house over to a heat pump or solar. And this is, would give me money for that. And that would make a difference to me. Those are the things that they're elected to do. And so they should listen to you. Yes, they should. should. And don't be intimidated by it either. You can send them an email. You can call a voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably not going to actually talk to anybody. And if you do, it's going to be an aid or yeah, that is going to take your message or you're going to leave a voicemail. Uh, so, you know, making phone calls isn't my favorite. I tend to opt for email anyway, but if, if you here's, here's want my trick. to call, then don't be, don't be afraid. The house is supposed to vote by Friday. This comes out, I think Friday. So like, yeah. Hey, give them a call as soon as you can. Um, if you know, if you get to do it after Friday and we vote it through, call them to thank them. Cause they hear mostly hate. They hear mostly yeah. 
things that they're mad about. If you decide to call someone who voted against it, you can tell them maybe nicely that like, hey, I really need you to do something here. (laughs) But if you call during business hours, you'll probably talk to someone. If you call on the weekend, you can leave a voicemail and it's still logged. There you go. Leave like the place you live because you, they want to know you're a constituent of theirs, not just some rando calling every person in the house of representatives, telling them how you feel. If you call after business hours on Friday, you're most likely going to be able to leave a voicemail without talking to anybody without the voicemail yet being full. If you you try and call Sunday, it will probably be full and you'll be really annoyed because you finally caught up the courage to call on the telephone and it was all for naught. So, (laughs) so try and do it whenever it's comfortable for you, but let your voice be heard. Good tip. I like that. Sarah, where can they talk to us? If you want to get in touch with us, you you cannot call us. You cannot leave a voicemail. Don't call. <laughs> we don't like talking on the phone. No, uh, you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com or you can find us on the social medias. Facebook, we are a little greener podcast. You can visit our page. Post something if you want. Comment on one of our posts. Send us a message if you would like. We are on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast. And if you prefer to get your podcasts via YouTube, we are on YouTube now as well. I still have only uploaded one of our old podcasts. Try to work on that. Sarah but works hard. Our new ones are, well, our new ones are being posted automatically. So you can find those there and listen with captions if that's helpful for you. Watch with captions, whatever. Whatever works for you. Thanks for listening, everybody. I feel happy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Casey. This this really was great. I'm excited and I'm going to contact my representatives. Yay. I'll talk to you next week and all of you. All of you listening, talking to you, Kristen. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 